0: Good. All right. Today we are wrapping up this message series. Today's Palm Sunday. And so we are a week from Easter. Very, very exciting time for us as a church. And I know for the churches in in Riverside, you know, just all the churches I know are planning just different Easter celebrations and different um, things are going on throughout, throughout our town. And so it's just an exciting time. We're really glad you're here with us this morning. Today we're wrapping up this message series that we've been looking at relationships and how messy relationships really are. And we've looked at a variety of issues throughout this series. We've looked at conflict and how God can use even conflict to uh, to grow us, to change us. It's part of one of His tools is conflict with people in our lives. He He can use and He will if He needs to. He will use conflict to grow us. And um, sometimes we think all conflict is bad, but if you take a perspective from the Scripture, you can learn that not all conflict is bad. There is something called godly conflict that actually. Um, God uses as a means of grace to actually change us. And so he puts people in our lives, he puts circumstances in our lives, um, because he'll do whatever it takes in order to help us grow and change, to look more and more like his son Jesus Christ. And so we looked at that a few weeks back, we've looked at forgiveness, and just how important it is to understand our own need for forgiveness. And it's off—it's awfully difficult to forgive one another. Um, the way that we really keep in perspective how to forgive is that We keep in mind that we have been forgiven so much. And if we lose perspective of how much we've been forgiven, then we're going to have a real hard time forgiving people in our lives. So we looked at that. We've looked at our identity. And keeping in mind that there's a whole bunch of things in the Scripture that God says about who we really are in Him, if we are His children. And if you know these things about who God says you are, it allows you to approach relationships with a very different perspective. So we looked at our identity and... um, We've also looked at just the idea of stop trying to change each other, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is capable, God's Holy Spirit is capable of working change on on the people in our lives. And so he doesn't need us, God doesn't need us to change and to to reform um, people into an image that would fit our liking, but he's actually at work. That doesn't mean that we don't, interact or speak into people's lives, but it's a perspective shift as far as whose job is it really to change people, is it my job or is it you know, God's job, and so we've looked at a variety of topics, all of our different messages that we've looked at are on our website, and so I'd invite you to, if you've missed any of those messages, to, to go to our website, listen to some of those different messages. Um, today I want to finish by talking about how change in our lives or change in our relationships can actually bring hope to other people. When we start changing, man, people grow hopeful that they can change themselves. And you may not realize this, but this is a very, very powerful part of God's um, purpose for for our existence, is um, how we're going to interact with others who are going through their own problems and their own circumstances. And so I'd like to pray before we really um, head into this message. So let's pray together. God, we just once again, we just pause to just ask you to speak to us. We invite you to... um, Uh, to do that we ask you for the ability to focus right now we pray against all distractions things that would come into our mind that are concerning us or things that we're about to do later today or we have on our plate for this week or just problems that are not fixed or relationships that are not solved and and working well lord i pray that you just allow us to as we look at your word that we would really um, allow you to speak to us as individuals and that if, you, if there's anything you're trying to deal with us, and Lord, I pray that we would take things to heart and have the courage to really respond to you. So we give you the freedom, and we ask you to do that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you may not realize it. Oftentimes, I forget it. But people are learning from my response and your response to the messes in our lives and in our relationships. All the messes in our relationships. Every time it gets messy, and the messier it gets, the more attention it draws. People are watching us. And, and honestly, th- that is not necessarily a bad thing. There's a purpose for that. And so people are learning all sorts of things as they watch us respond to messy relationships. People are encouraged by our growth when we actually, like all these messages we've been looking at, if you've been trying to apply anything in this series, whether it's conflict resolution or forgiveness or just trying to trust God more with not trying to fix the person but just trusting God to do that work. If you've been releasing some things to him, um, people are encouraged by that. As they see you put things into practice, people are inspired. Hey, I can do that. I see the change in them. Because they remember, especially if you know others in your life and you remember them from this point and then you see this progression of, of growth. It's just It's inspiring to know, wow, people are growing here. People are sharing here. Uh, but when you observe the change, it fills people. It kind of infuses people with courage as well. It's like, hey, they're doing it. I can, I can keep going. I've had some conversations this week um, related to life groups. We have small groups in our church. And uh, I've heard from some different people in our life groups kind of a, a theme from multiple people, which is as people have been sharing in life groups, um, others in the group will come alongside them, before group or after group or even during, and just kind of identify with the struggles that they're facing and say, hey, I know what you're going through. I've been through that. And, and, and I want to encourage you, keep going. Like, and they'll share stories of 10 years back, 20 years back, just some of the messes of relationships and just encouraging people to hang in there, don't lose hope, don't give up. I, I've been hearing this from different people, and it's kind of the common thread as well. People are really coming alongside each other and, and encouraging and strengthening each other. That is, that's really what is a major part of what our church is to be about. To love one another. That's one practical way we do that, is we come alongside each other. We run alongside each other, and we say, hey, you can keep going. You don't have to give up. You can keep going. We're going to look at a passage in Scripture that really highlights this. And, but your heartache and your hardship can be a real help to people. They can, they can benefit from the things you're going through if you'll, use, if you'll allow God to use even the messes. So take a look on your listening guide. God can use the messiness that we encounter in our relationships to help us move towards others in, needs, in need. So people who are struggling, people, people need us to be honest about what we're really going through. Our hurt, in some strange way, can be someone else's hope. That's so true. When we're honest about how we're hurting and what we're going through, that can provide so much encouragement to someone else who's going through a very, very similar thing. Or even if it's different, just to see, wow, they're moving on. I realize we're in a different place, we're a different age in a different struggle, circumstances. Or, but they're pressing on. They're not giving up. That provides hope for people. Paul, he's a guy that uh, God used to write a number of the New Testament books. He was a church planter in the first century. And he planted a church in a place called Corinth, modern-day Greece. And then he would correspond back and forth to this church, like he did with many of the churches that he planted. Um, with this particular church, he wrote, um, we have two letters, First and Second Corinthians, that we have in the New Testament, and these are the only two letters that we have. But there, there's some people think there was four or five letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. That two or three of them were lost. And but the reason why there's this, and there was letters being written back from the church in Corinth to Paul. So they call this whole Corinthians, uh, they call it the Corinthian correspondence, where there's this back and forth correspondence of Paul to this church, and. We we only have first and second Corinthians. Those are the only ones that were were uh I guess kept and, and and the church had copies and made copies from those letters um and we're able to for our own benefit really learn and grow. But there was these there was these rough interactions that they had, and so we can piece together part of the problems in this church um through reading first and second Corinthians, but there's there's things that are referenced in here that talks about other letters, or I wrote to you in my previous letter, and you're looking back in First Corinthians, you're like, I don't find that. Well, it's because there were other letters written. So if you're ever reading the book and you're confused about that, that's that's really why. there is there was this correspondence, but these are the two letters we have. The beginning of the second letter, then Second Corinthians. You have Paul how he begins to share with people um, how they can have hope in the God who has helped him um, find comfort in times of of hurt, in times of trouble. So take a look at this in Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. When we think of the word comfort, like he's saying, praise God. He's the God of compassion, the God of all comfort. When we think of God being a God of comfort, even the word comfort, different images come to our mind about what that really looks like. Someone who's a comforter. And for you, it might be that a comforter is someone who comes alongside a kid and pats him on the head and then gives him a little piece of candy and then sends him on his way and he's back on the playground. You know, he skins his knee. You know, dad walks over, pats him on the head. You're going to be okay. Dusts him off and, and sends him on his way. That's really not the idea of the God of comfort, that he just comes alongside us and he pats us on the head and, and smacks us on the rear and says, hey, get back out there in the world. You can do it. Really what it is, the word comfort in the Greek, it means to come alongside someone to strengthen them. So you come up alongside them and you strengthen them to keep pressing forward. He's a God, Paul's saying, we have a God who comes alongside of us and helps us move forward. He provides the strength to keep us moving. Then in verse 4 he says, God who can comfort us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He keeps repeating this phrase, comfort, comfort, comfort. I think it's nine or ten times in the first 11 verses of this chapter. He, he uses this phrase, comfort. Because comfort received from God enables us to now come and comfort other people who are in conflict. People who are in a mess of their own. This really is what I've been hearing as I've been talking to people from the church body here. Saying, yeah, people have been coming up to me and really encouraging me to press on. To not give up. Keep trying to do things God's way. That's really what's happening is people are saying, God, the God of comfort has comforted me in a way that enables me now to comfort others. People are putting into practice what what you read here in Scripture. He continues in verse verse 5, it says, For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. He talks about the sufferings of Christ. Really, Paul now, he's kind of shifting. He's being really specific about persecution. That, that people face because they identify with Christ. The sufferings of Christ. Christ suffered. He was rejected. When you identify yourself as a Christian, you may experience some form of suffering, of rejection, of of mistreatment, of uh, not fitting in anymore. And for many of you, just your decision to follow Christ actually meant that you would be rejected by people. People at work, close friends, maybe family members. And... It may have really cost you something to identify yourself as a Christian, for some of you. And so Paul reminds us, just as the sufferings flow into our lives by identifying with Christ, so also the comfort of Christ overflows, meaning we're comforted. Paul was a man who, who suffered more than probably any of us in this room will ever suffer. He was betrayed. He was beaten, left for dead. He was abandoned by close ministry friends. He was lonely, he was imprisoned. He was whipped. I mean, he went through all sorts of things. He, because he was a leader, he had to make some tough calls, so he was rejected at points. He had to part ways with, with close friends. I mean, there was all sorts of things that happened in Paul's life that he needed to be comforted from. And he was comforted. Now look at how he continues on. He says, verse 6, If we are distressed... Now he's a di- quite a distance from Corinth. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. See, he's saying, My hurt is your hope. My- My hurt, I can help you in some way through this. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Verse 8 says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Now, he's not just talking like deadlines. Don't think of Paul, just because he's a church leader, that he's like in his office writing letters, you know, the typewriter. He's under deadline pressure. Man, that church needs to get my next letter. He's talking about physical pressure. He's talking about people chasing him out of the town because they do not want to hear about the risen Christ. I mean, he's talking about serious, serious pressure. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. He's saying, Man, it, it, it appeared that we were done. We knew we, we had a death sentence. We were going to die. This was the very end. We had no hope. And he said this. This is the purpose. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul points them to cling to God. He's saying, God himself is the only one who can do the impossible. Paul's saying, we were beyond hope. There was no, in ourselves, there was no hope, but God provided. He he did the impossible. The God who raises the dead, he brought comfort, he brought encouragement, he brought resources. We can learn all sorts of things from this passage. As it relates to our relationships, here's a few things. If you go from Paul, now fast forward to us, here's a few things we need to keep in mind. First, we're not the only ones in trouble. We've been talking about messy relationships. Well, we all have them. We all have sources of conflict and problematic relationships. But we're not the only ones who have them. All of us face a certain amount of trouble. None of us can escape that, can we? We're all going to just deal with difficulty in our relationships. And if you look around long enough, and if you listen up to the people in your life, you will hear hurt. You will hear pain and pressure If you listen in your small group, if you listen to your neighbors as they're walking out to their car, and you see their interaction, and don't, you know, you see the pressure. If you go out to dinner, if you're not fighting yourself at dinner, you listen to the person next to you, you know. If you're not in an argument yourself, because we all kind of walk through our own conflict. In the booth next to you, they're arguing about something. It's all around us. We're not the only ones in trouble. Our problems, though they may be very, very difficult, and you may be in despair. Our problems are are not isolated to us alone. People are in, in real despair and in trouble. So first thing is keep that in mind. Second, we're instructed to come alongside others, like this passage said, to identify and to offer hope. Come alongside others, like people have been doing this week. Hey, I want you to know, what you're sharing in group, you're not alone. I have been there. I understand what you're going through. Yeah, my circumstances are different. But I have been there, and I want you to know we serve a God who raises the dead, and just as Paul was at his at his lowest point possible, God who raises the dead breathed new life into into Paul at points where he thought there was no there was no hope, God made a way. God does that, and that that's that's something we can do in people's lives. we can come alongside others, but Our comfort should also do this. Our comfort should point others to rely on God and not on on ourselves, not on us. God is the only one who has the power to do the impossible. He's the only one that can raise the dead. He's the only one that can breathe life into something that is dead and seems to be destroyed. And so as we come alongside people, we have to understand they need God. They need God. He is the only hope for lasting change. Now, there's a support base called the church community that is critical. But, but they need to, to cling to God himself, the God who can raise the dead. And Paul, he had, a, he had a powerful and very widespread ministry because everywhere he went, he had to deal with messes. And so the God who was working with him throughout all those messes just kept comforting him. He kept being comforted. And then people all around him could learn from his, his weaknesses from his struggles, from the things he faced. I think one of the reasons why Paul used was used by God so much is because he went through so much. And he just kept responding to God. And that created this widespread ministry. God chose to use him. He kept responding to the hardships and turned it to, to God, will you use this for others? The same is true for all of us. In fact, whenever God's grace changes your heart, whenever God's grace changes your, your entire life, whenever you experience any change what you're doing is you're experiencing the kingdom coming down to earth as it already is in heaven. You've heard of the Lord's prayer where Jesus said, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, God, your kingdom is already going on in heaven like it, it all is right in heaven. All is as it should be. You're the focal point every but Jesus says, pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So every time we start changing what it is is you're seeing the kingdom come to earth in people's lives. It's made visible in people's lives. And in a conversation with the Pharisees, Jesus kind of talks about this whole idea of the kingdom of God. He confronts the misunderstanding that the Pharisees, these religious leaders had about the kingdom of God, and he said this It says, Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, these people wanted to know when when is the kingdom of God going to come? Jesus replied this, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. They thought that God's kingdom was going to be some sort of a physical, political system where they, those people could be the ruling class. They would be in charge. But Jesus informed them that the kingdom was not <clears throat> just a system, but it was a tangible display of the presence of the king. On the earth, he's reminding them that the kingdom, can you know, the kingdom can be within us. It's, he's saying it's within you. We we bear, you know, we take the kingdom into the world as we relate to God and as He begins to change us. God's kingdom works its way into our into our hearts, and then it creates this ripple effect where we begin to impact others. The kingdom of God begins to impact other people's lives. That's really the hope you flip over to the back of this, it says, whenever I'm experiencing restoration, anytime you see any of these things happen, restoration, humility, forgiveness, patience, godly conflict, what it is, I'm experiencing the work of the king as he is building his kingdom. That's what's happening. For anyone that's applied anything as a result of the messages, you're experiencing the work of the king in your life as he's setting up his kingdom on earth. And therefore, My relationships are then a place where the kingdom has come and is intended to attract others, not to me, but to the king. Not to you, but to the king. Every time this happens, it's an opportunity for others to to connect with the king, to draw close to the king. Whenever you start talking about the changes in your life, it's an opportunity for you to steal the focus or for you to point the focus towards God himself. And if we're drawing attention to ourselves and exalting ourselves, um, you know we're missing it. But we're to call attention to the King. But for most for most people, they see change. Like as you look around and you start connecting with people who you know walk with Christ and they take Him seriously, He really is a you know He really is a part of their life. And you know this this Christianity thing is real for them. As you see that, you know for the most part, you will see the work of the kingdom, but. A lot of people won't see the king. Therefore, this is is the key point. It's my privilege. It's our privilege. It's our responsibility to point others to him. They're going to see a change, but they may think, wow, that's just, he's a good guy. She's a neat lady. She's a really good person. She's just really trying hard. She's going to church. You know, she does really good things. And, And she's getting the credit. He's getting the credit. But instead, it's it's our privilege, it's our responsibility to point others and say, No, this is not me. It's not my good ideas. It's really that the, you know, God. The God who raises the dead has breathed life into areas that I thought could not be changed, and He's brought about a change. So it's a privilege for us. Jesus, He uses two metaphors in the New Testament in his Sermon on the Mount, to talk specifically about how we can make the kingdom of God visible. It's Matthew chapter 5. You may have heard this before. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He calls you know, people to, to follow him. And he's talking about really he's saying that we would be salt. It's, it's a kind of a confusing idea. You're the salt of the earth, he says. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Salt was a preservative. It is a preservative. It provides seasoning. Obviously, it brings out the flavor and things. But back then, you know, for the most part, salt would be used for preservative. And the point of it was it needed to be kept close to things. It needed to be in close proximity to things that are decaying, like meat that was decaying. You put salt on it in order to preserve it so it would slow down the decay. And so in that way, you know, we, we have this opportunity to, and God's using us to help preserve some things in this world. So he talks about our lives collectively are to be um, salt, preserving in a, in, a, in a world that is decaying. Now, as, as our lives are changing, that's what's happening. As people are seeing a difference in us, they're, they're able to see, wow, the God who's actually preserving us, who's, who's doing a work. They see a distinction between the decaying world and a life that's being transformed and changed. Look, he goes on, he says, not only are you the salt of the earth, but you are the light of the world. Jesus himself, in John 8, he says, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one that leads men out of the darkness. But now here in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. You know, you, you will, in a sense, lead people to, you'll reflect God's goodness, God's grace, God's glory, collectively, we're the light of the world. We're to reflect Him to the world. And it says this, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Remember the song? Hide it under a bushel. No. Last service, there was a guy was like, No. It was very good. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. There's a song. You know, You may have heard that song. This little light of mine. Kids sing that song. But that's the idea is You're the light of the world. You're to reflect. You're to be a reflection of God's goodness and His glory to this world that is dark and decaying. He said, instead, no, you put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds. Why? Why should they see our good deeds? Because it praises our Father in heaven, it praises the King who's establishing His kingdom. So here's, on a practical level, here's how we make the kingdom of God visible. First, we must be convinced that the call of the kingdom is a call into the world and never away from the world. We need to move into the world. Just like the salt that must be in close proximity to things that are decaying, we need to move towards people who need God and, and not try to isolate ourselves completely from the world. And those things in the world, you know, we're, we're to be in the world but not of the world, the scripture teaches And so we have to figure out how do I move towards the world without not getting caught up in the ways of the world, but we're to remain in the world, moving towards people. And then second, as we enter other people's world, we need to understand that things will get messy, and that's okay. As you start sharing your life with people who who desperately need to know God, and and or even just they're searching for answers, as you begin to share your life with them, understand things will get messy. In their lives. And that's okay. You want to know why it's okay? Is because things are messy in all of our lives already. So that's, that's just the human condition. All of us experience and need God's grace in our lives. And so don't be afraid to get close to others who need God's grace because we constantly, daily need God's grace. One of the most helpful things that others can see in you is your own need for grace when, you, when you're open about how you still need God's grace on a daily basis, that's so encouraging to people that get around you. When you move towards people, it doesn't work well if you take a, hey, I've arrived in your life, but you need grace approach. I'm here, and you need grace. That doesn't work really well for people. And honestly, as, as, as the church, I'll speak in a universal sense, this is where we've struggled universally across the world. And definitely in America, to where we we've separated from the world, and we move, we talk about the world rather than engaging the world and being open that we're still struggling, we're still in the process. He's redeemed us, but we're, he's not done with us. We're open, but the truth is, it's in the context of our own sins, our own struggles, our own weakness that the love and the power of the King are most clearly seen. This is where people can see the work of the King is when we're honest. So I want to wrap up by asking you to think through who's in your world right now? Who's in your world? Who seems to be far from God? Who do you sense God may be nudging you towards and saying, hey, I want you to move towards them? Think about who's in your world. What friends that, that are searching have not yet connected with God? What, what people in your life, might be neighbors, might be coworkers. I'd encourage you, I asked people last week, last service, me write down five names of people that, that, that God may be nudging you to move towards as a point of application. You know, God is... You may be in a mess right now. That's okay. That's okay. God can still use the messy relationships that we have and the lives that are still in process to impact other people, to offer hope. Because we serve a God of comfort who comforts us in our time of need so that we can step into other people's worlds and comfort them in the same way that we've been comforted. And you might be thinking, I'm in no position to help other people to find God, especially if you're in crisis. Or you might be thinking, we, my marriage, my relationship with my spouse, we're in no position to be helping others find God. We're hanging on by a thread right now. But again, did you know our messy life, our messy lives and relationships, what they do is, along with the genuine desire to just be honest about who we are, that's just so compelling to people, to see you pressing on, to see me pressing on despite... The hurt, despite the messiness, if you're honest about your life, it's a testimony about the living God who can who can breathe life into things that appear to be dead. And it may be slow, it it will be messy. You'll never be perfect. Your spouse, your friends, they'll never be perfect, but that's okay. It takes the pressure off of people who think if I'm going to come to God, that I need to be perfect like the church people. It takes the pressure off of it takes the pressure off of people if they, if they recognize that people who are, who are walking with Christ are still in the process and they're not perfect. And so, if we'll share our weaknesses, one man told me, if you will share from your weaknesses and live and be honest about your weaknesses, you will never lack an audience. This is true for all of us. There will always be people observing our lives, learning from our lives, if we'll be honest about what we're really going through. But as soon as we exalt ourselves and we're the person with no problems... Um, that's not very compelling <laughs> for a lot of people because they can't identify with us when we take that place. This is probably the very best time to invite people around because Easter's here. for 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 Christians, Easter is huge. This might be compared to like the Super Bowl, but honestly, it's thousand times better, thousands of times better than the Super Bowl. Because f- for Christ followers, everything, everything. Everything, you can, I don't know, do you have a better word for me? Hinges. Thanks, Eddie. (laughs) It's a waste of time, is what the Scripture says. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, this is a waste of time. You're wasting your time here, weekly. First Corinthians 15, which is the passage we're going to look at next week. Everything hangs or hinges on the resurrection being real and true. If Christ did not die, Scripture says you are dead in your sins. This is a big waste of time. And so we have no hope without Christ rising from the dead. If He went to the cross, was crucified, and stayed dead, then there's no hope for our, for our future, for our lives, even here and now. And so, but the fact that he did rise from the dead, that is our hope. And it may feel like you're hanging on by a string, but the truth is, if Christ is in you and he is living inside of you, then there's a process of change happening. And people in our world are desperately needing to find the hope that he offers. Many people are distracted, isolated, confused. Many people don't understand the heart of Christianity because for too long Christians have moved away from the world rather than moved towards the world. And we need to be people who move towards the world. And Easter is a great time to do that. So we're doing a huge Easter egg hunt. Um, we have 10,000 eggs. We have 8,000 stuffed. We're trying to get up to 12,000. That's, that's a big task. We had a big stuffing party last night. And people's fingers were hurting, it seemed like, because it was a lot of work. But we stuffed about 8,000 eggs. we still got a little ways to go. But it's going to be an exciting day for, for kids and for families who are in this community and who receive invitations. We've sent things in the mail. We've got banners on Van Buren. We've got eggs on that back table. If you turn to that back table right there, you'll see there's a bunch of eggs on that back table. And those are actually invitations. And so we're inviting you to participate in helping us to spread the word more about Easter by egging the city. Not with real eggs, but with plastic eggs. And so would you help us egg the city by taking one of those bags or maybe two of those bags of eggs and just... Not throw them at people, but just put them on doorsteps. And it, inside is a piece of candy, with a, uh, and then there should be a business card that has the invitation of the of our Easter events, and, and a sticker. And just put one on doorsteps, and then people hopefully will be like, oh, I, I've already seen that somewhere else. But would you help us spread the word in that way? If you don't want to, you could. I'm sure one bag of 30 would take about 10 minutes to distribute, um, but or maybe a little bit longer than that, maybe 15, 20. Depends on, I don't know. Depends on how fast you walk, or better yet if you have little kids, you can get them doing the hard work for you and you can get a whole lot done faster, but you know if you're safe about that but but beyond that, you can take it to a shopping mall, you could take it to like food court and just put them on the tables you can p- take it to to parks and just hide them for kids to find and and they'll tell their parents about it but help us get the word out um, so Want to make sure everyone knew about that opportunity. Pick one of those up, if you would, on the way out. Thank you so much. We've asked a lot of, of, of you, our church family, this spring, just as far as candy and volunteering. And this is another way to serve. And if you want to help, we'd love it if you would. Um, all of you are really the front door to this church. Most people who actually visit churches come because they know somebody at the church. And we do get people that come from mailings and invites and they see things on the Internet, and we love that. But a lot of times people come because they were invited personally by someone. And studies honestly show that people stay in church because they were invited or they got quickly connected to someone. And so we really would encourage you to personally invite some guests to to come to Easter as well. And um, as the band comes up to receive this morning's tithes and offerings, um, would you pull out that connection card and take a look at these two next steps, at point of application. First... Ask God to direct you to an individual or a couple to move towards in the world. This is just saying, God, would you use me? Is there someone you want me to be engaging with and sharing my life with for the sake of helping them come to know you and experiencing the comfort that we've received ourselves? And then second, invite three people to Easter service next Sunday. I would encourage you. We put a flyer in each bulletin. I would encourage you to take that flyer, personally invite someone. We have stacks of those flyers. We have... Smaller invitations that are on the back. We have those eggs. Um, it really would be a, a huge um, uh, help for us to personally invite rather than just to rely on all the mass advertising that we've done. It's great when we can advertise, but honestly, people get connected quickly or they already are connected. That's that's huge for people in, in, in church life. So let, let's go to the Lord in prayer.